The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, you're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio and this is the Cambridge Film Show, your one-stop shop for shop talk on all films, big and small, in cinemas and on streaming. I'm Lorcan O'Neill and hosting along with me today is the fabulous Emma Marchant. Hi there. And we're joined by reviewers Vicky Eyre. Hello. Uh, Stuart Pask. Hello. Luke Irwin. Hello. And Nicholas Menji's Kitchen. Hello. Uh, we enter the ring. Oh, uh, we have uh, another jam-packed show for you all today as we aim to cover a whopping nine films. We do enter the ring with legendary wrestlers the Von Erich brothers in The Iron Claw. We sample the very best Franz Knopfer in The Taste of Things. We kick off the first of three rom-coms today with Netflix's Players. Bob Marley takes to the stage to revolutionize the music industry in One Love. Jennifer Lopez deals with her personal demons and musical extravaganza. This is me, dot, 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 now. The Sony Marvel Cinematic Universe keeps on trucking with Madam Webb. Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney pretend to be soulmates in Anyone But You. John Cena and Alison Brie are thrust together in a South American jungle in freelance. And uh, could a twist of fate and a misunderstanding lead to sky-high romance in Upgraded? All will be revealed. So let's take a step back into the world of 1980s pro wrestling. Ever since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing had ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. Morning. Pants tomorrow, please, David. Perry, I want you to join your brothers in the ring. Yes, sir. I love that. Now, we all know Carrie's my favorite, then Kev, then David, then Mike. But the rankings can always change. What do you want in life, Kevin Von Eric? More ribs. <laughs> I want to be with my family. You know, be with my brothers. What do you like to do with your brothers? Director Sean Durkin follows up his previous film, The Nest, with another strained and haunted family dynamic in The Iron Claw. Salivate over a cast including Zac Efron, Harris Dickinson, Jeremy Allen White of The Bear, Lily James and Holt McNally of Mindhunter fame as we see the gut-wrenching experiences of the Von Erich wrestling family led by patriarch Fritz. But can Zac, Efron out- can Zac Efron's Kevin outrun the family curse? Emma. You waited with bated breath for this. I think I saw your lips turn blue at one point. Why were you so excited I, to see this? Do you know what? I really can't quite work out why I was so, so excited about this. Um, I did greatly enjoy Sean, um, Sean Durkin's Martha... Marcy May Mar- Marlene. So I was really interested to see what he'd do with this, which is just a story that is more unbelievable the truth is more unbelievable than the fiction um and i don't almost don't want to say too much about it because i think if you're going to go and see this film maybe don't google the von eric family because i think that it will have it has an emotional impact anyway but it will have even more of an emotional impact i think if you don't if you don't necessarily know exactly what happened to this insane like you say for um five brother family from texas in the 80s so it's when the cusp of it's not actually wrestling hasn't become quite the the thing it became in the 80s and 90s with hulk hogan and that kind of thing but it's on the edge and they run their own kind of ramshackle texan superdome the houston superdome which is where they sort of they, they it just I think I was excited because I am a huge fan of Zac Efron. I'm, pro- I'm a little bit too old, but I still, High School Musical, I think, are some of the finest examples of that kind of genre anyway. The guy can move and he's so committed and I think he's committed so much in a moment the camera pans onto his body in particular. Zac Efron has virtually transformed himself. This There's been a lot of talk about this. There's also been a lot of talk about how well the wrestling scenes have been choreographed, how much devotion has been put on that as well. And then, you know... Um, 
Jeremy Allen White's hotter than fire right now. Harris Dickinson in both Scrapper and Triangle of Sadness is a glorious screen presence. You, you add to that hot magnani, you, you add as well Maura Tierney, who I used to love from ER as the mother. And like you say, you throw them into this story, which is just heartbreaking. It's about gaslighting. It's about, you know, it's about parental abuse, but it's also about making, making a life for yourself outside of what you thought you should do and it's just wonderfully done i can't explain why i was so into it but i really was and it didn't let me down um luke i'll come to you next um what can people expect to this because the trailer kind of sells it as a almost like a wrestling comedy but then with elements of family drama how does what's the balance there yeah i think this is a really surprising film in that you see a wrestling film with zach efron you're expecting that kind of film i think this is far more akin if you've seen any of Sean Durkin's previous films, you mentioned The Nest, it's a very dark, very dour, you might say. I, I didn't love this film as much as uh, Emma. I thought it was actually um, a bit uninspired, I'm afraid. I'm a huge Zac Efron fan, and I was expecting something more like, you know, a high school musical, or even like, even when he's tried to do serious before, when he's been, you know, he's been charismatic as uh, Ted Bundy and that extremely wicked and the paperboy. He comes across as charisma and movie star charm, even there, shines through. But here, he's just moping around for two <laughs> hours. Um, a lot of people have praised what, what might be considered sort of a transformative performance. He looks unrecognisable. Um, he's got arms like tree trunks. It's actually almost uncanny. Um, but I, I don't think the performance matches the, the physical transformation he's gone through and I'd, I'd say the same about Jeremy Allen White who's also in it. he's more naturally buff um, if anyone's seen um, The Bear um, but both of them are just really really boring in this film I have to say <sighs> Oh, I don't know. I mean, if if you're looking for singing and dancing, you've definitely come to the wrong show. But I thought, I thought particularly when the relationship between Zac Efron and Lily James was particularly sweet, because I think Zac Efron comes across as this like just hulking, emotionally crippled person. I thought, I thought it went, worked well. Um, Vicky, how about you? How did you find the performances here? Um, I completely disagree with Luke, but that is absolutely fine. Um, I also, like Emma, was waiting with bated breath for this to come out. I unfortunately did the deep dive into the history of the Von Erich family before I went in, but even that couldn't prepare me for the emotional state I came out of. Um, it just... I think there's a movie that comes around every year and you know you're going to be upset when it finishes, but it's still, it did its job. I was completely overhauled with grief after this. Um, each one of the characters made me, you know, love them. I was, there's different personalities that have shone through and I, I disagree with Luke. I think Zach's withheld performance given his huge mass in this film is what made it so brilliant and so excellent. I think seeing how he withheld the things he wanted to say, the, it showed the real lock that his father held on him and the family and I, I think that's what was so powerful in this is that even at that size and with that strength he was still like captive under his father and his goals and the relationship with his brothers and I thought that was super important to get across and he did an incredible job and I'm, I'm really sad that this didn't get the award nor that I think it truly deserved. I know you're going to have to throw it to Skew, but I was just going to say, yeah, the chemistry between the brothers is delightful. They are like kind of a... But, and I thought they were some of the most beautiful scenes actually when they're playing football together or when they are just... Floating down that. the river. I like. Yeah. I kept that memory with me like throughout the whole thing, wishing it could go back to a better time. Yeah. Well, Stu, how did you find the dynamic between the brothers, in particular 
did you believe that these brothers, these like hulking giants, could be under such control of this aging kind of father figure? I think it's um, they they do a good job of sort of portraying how much um, the role of a father instilling this idea of family honor how much that can have a, a hold over a family and i think they portray it very well and you can see from their portrayal on the screen how well they play as brothers because if anything they're the only sort of real relationships you see on the screen that that's that that they, they do a great job of portraying this brotherly love that sort of penetrates the family and it's just a shame to that in the, in the reality of the situation that they weren't collectively able to get out of from an, under the sort of the from the grip of their of their sort of father's influence um i i really enjoyed that sort of portrayal on the screen but it, and it is another great sort of example of sort of that sort of toxic masculinity and how it can push people too far to do terrible things for the wrong reasons <laughs> Um, I'll just kind of end on a note because it's. I think it did. It performed quite well in the states. It's. It's not really getting much of a following here. Do we think? What, what do we think that might be the case? Possibly because of the wrestling love in the states. Don't you think? I mean, people are. And I have friends who went because it opened at Christmas. It opened. It was like a Christmas Day release, I believe, in the states. And so people. I've got friends. Um, good friends who live down towards the south, like North Carolina, South Carolina, and they are huge wrestling fans in the eighties and nineties. So they went straight to it. Whether or not they were overly impressed by the reality of it, I don't know. But we don't have that. Passion, passion following and it has been slightly oddly marketed I would say and also maybe it's hard for people to see beyond the posters with the costumes and the wigs but I implore you please do because you might think that that, that, that sort of gives it a level of like Luke was saying you might almost be expecting a bit of a comedy but it, it's not it's a really beautifully nuanced film yeah there's there's some there's some real sort of uh, unusual dynamics here. So in, in the UK there, there is an audience for wrestling but it will never be as big as it is in the States that could change in the not too distant future I know Netflix recently acquired the rights for WWE so all that stuff that used to be locked down to cable restrictions and pay-per-views that might suddenly become entirely new newly accessible to a new audience um, but this film is probably not the gateway into it that they're after but it could be ripe and ready then for a cult following Right. Oh, I'm going to push for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, tears will be shed, and I fear many siblings will be injured watching uh, the Iron Claw. But um, screening at the View and the Light is certificate 15. Okay, so we're going to move on to rural France and the taste of things. That was a little taste. Oh, did you see what I did there? The trailer for the taste of things. And I imagine that you are all now feeling deliciously hungry, which I think this is, is, is what this film does does best of all. Um, like I said, said in rural France in 1885, this is Vietnamese director Anne Trung's Taste The Taste of Things. It stars Juliette Binoche and Benoit Magimel as Eugénie and Didier. He is an esteemed gourmet and she is the cook who has prepared his meals for the last 20 years and as, as I understand when she allows it, also her bed. Vicky, yes. I haven't seen this. I'm really sad I haven't seen it. It's okay. I really wanted to see it. Yeah. But I understand, obviously, this is 
absolutely about the food. From the there's a it opens as it not with like a thirty minute scene of, of her cooking a dinner for for Didier and his guests. And that's absolutely correct. Um, I saw this at the Cambridge Film Festival last October, and it was very much a schedule filler. It was something that I knew was coming out that I definitely enjoy, but there's not that um, drive to go maybe watch it at first, um, knowing that it's just a what it seems to be just a quiet, beautiful love story. But that within, I'm going to say two minutes of the opening a whole row but almost the whole screen just started moaning at the sight and the, like you, I want to say the sight the sounds of the, the food being prepared for this banquet and um, so Chef Didine Buffant um, he is you know he's curating the menu but she is the chef in the kitchen. She has complete control over this like narrative. Um, you don't get to see many locations in this film. It's simply the kitchen, the dining room, and her bedroom. Uh, and maybe a beautiful garden landscape in between. But it's very much this is their world. This is the life they've created for them. They have like a very sweet dynamic where they're trying to train a, a young girl to be a chef as well. And um, it's just... I was very aware of the runtime, but while I was in it, I was completely captivated by the cooking, real cooking, I believe, as well. Like, all of this was done um, by the, the actors um, while it was while it was being filmed. Um, and I was just completely encapsulated in watching that. And I've, I mean, I love a cooking show, but Rick Stein didn't exactly do that to me um, on, a, on a Sunday. This is, you know, is a love for the food, it is a relationship, it is a family that you're completely... I don't, I don't know how I'm going to compare this, but you know in Zone of Interest where you're in such a small setting yeah. with that family that you almost feel like you're just a, such a, an observer, like a fly on the wall. Feel so but, intimate, right? So intimate. That is how I felt watching this, but in the complete, you know, non-stress environment. It, that's interesting you say, because from what I understand, obviously, they, 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 they are lovers, but it's kind of on Juliette Binoche's character, mm. Eugenie's call. Mm. And there's no plan for them to get married. I mean, this is 80s, this is 1880s France. Is this a... Do they sort of... Do they hint at all about what a bold move that is is it a brave mood is there a feminist thing behind I, do you know what it, it, she, she very much just says like um, they've been together for so long why isn't it good enough like they have this life together why isn't it good enough and then uh, you know Juliette Binoche like she starts to feel a bit unwell throughout the film and um, becomes this uh um, kind of build up to you know, the wedding and like this is they want to spend the rest of their lives together and uh, it, as, the, as the theme unfolds it becomes very much like uh, they're in their prime time like you know they're in their 50s they've lived this wonderful life together and they're like this is it this can be uh, how we spend our future and I think Jia um, Binoche until she felt that in that moment that like commitment from him that maybe uh, she wasn't ready for marriage. This just sounds absolutely... But this does sound beautiful. I'm, I'm wallowing in already as someone who's <laughs> just entered her 50s. Maybe this could be me. Maybe this could be my prime time. Um, Anne Hung, An Hung Tran hasn't made a film since... It's been 13 years since Norwegian Wood and it's been 30 years, I think, since his breakthrough film, The Scent of Green Papaya, mm. which hardly makes him a prolific filmmaker. But would you say this... You know, would you say the quality within It's makes completely... I think this is actually my, um, apart from, uh, and this is my second film of the year, and we have had an in insane slate of films. We've been absolutely spoiled for this award season, I think. Um, and this is, is sitting at number two of my 2024 list, and I just can't stop thinking about how I felt in the moment of watching this. He has created something absolutely gorgeous. Like, I just felt like I love cinema coming out of this film. Um, and even though he may not be prolific, and it's definitely not in the style of the only other film I've seen by him, Norwegian Wood, 
Street, which is maybe not the best romance story to reference. Um, I do. I just think he has created something very, very special. And um, if you're free, maybe even I think this is such a perfect Sunday watch. If you're free this Sunday, I think I would rather I'd recommend this to High Heavens. Well, that is just that's a kind of that's just such a lovely review. I could have listened to you talk to that, talk about that for a long time. Um, the Taste of Things is Certificate 12A and is showing at the Picture House and I think the light as well and comes highly recommended from Vicky so thank you for that uh, now let's go to uh, let's get even more romantic this Valentine's weekend with players who is she again? that's Nick Russell he's New York's most eligible bachelor he's a war reporter and he saved an actual orphan from an actual burning building was it burning? collapsing? sinking? maybe just like a bad building somewhere mm. what's wrong with you? I might like him like, like him, like him? I'm 33, and I want an adult. Want this dude? Let's get him. We need to play, guys. What do we got? We've never played for keeps. Gina Rodriguez plays Mac, a New York sport writer with a ser- who, and a serial one-night stander who, along with an entourage, engage in elaborate scenarios to orchestrate flings. But what happens when she falls for the uh, latest quote-unquote play? Uh, Nick, mm. um, at a glance, that synopsis sounds slightly problematic. Um, is, there a, is this a more wholesome affair than it first seems? Well, that's a very good introduction because the, the, as it first seems was exactly my problem. I, my note here was who are these shallow callous nutwits uh, which i'd ri- written uh, uh, 20 minutes into this film i was thinking oh please not another one we've got to engage with these people who are callous they have no sort of center they're all surface oh, here we go again another one of these uh, awful awful rom-coms and then something rather remarkable happened i quite i i, I started to quite enjoy it and I, I i started to warm to these characters and uh they they sort of had a backstory in a life and, and kind of slowly sort of chipped away at the the fragility of their own lives and then what they were doing and and obviously romance starts to blossom in certain quarters where you um kind of see the signposts coming but that doesn't matter one is a rom-com we love a rom-com um and in the end i've got to be honest um without giving too much away uh, those people that are initially um, looking to hook up uh, end up hooking up with other people in good rom-com style and i was left with um sort of a serene serene um warm rom-com bit of happiness to be honest with you no complaints in the end which i'll be honest with you surprised me because 20 minutes in i thought i was going to hate this movie well no complaints for a netflix rom-com that's that's that rather something um luke what can we expect with players um well i think nick summarized what's happening to some extent but i think he's far more sympathetic towards the the plight of these awful awful human beings <laughs> i think I was surprised. The, the first 30 seconds, I didn't know anything about this film coming in. It sort of opens with a sort of soul bass style opening credits with sort of this witty back and forth. And I'm thinking, you know, are we getting some kind of, you know, Audrey Hepburn charade with a modern edge to it? Because you're getting that zingy dialogue between a bunch of people who know each other really well. There's real pedigree for that kind of stuff in the romantic comedy. But far from sort of being that kind of film it sort of ends up being like imagine if sex in the city was even more insufferable <laughs> these incredibly i don't know they don't never seem to do any work you know they work in a sports magazine that's going under but none of them are ever doing any work so gina rodriguez spends months working on this article that wasn't even commissioned to her and then she gets off the 
big break at the end where it turns out it's great and you know her career saved and she's you know rescued sports journalism um i just could not get up this this premise this this was the you know what we're getting in for is a bunch of people who are tricking and manipulating people into hooking up yeah um just does not work for me we've got a female director trish Sai, who uh, has previously done pitch perfect three um and it was written by a, a woman as well so you'd think that might mitigate things somewhat but i just found the characters predatory and the only way that it tries to mitigate the problem is by making the male lead even worse he is just awful <laughs> right emma you look like you have something I, well, to say i just have to because the male well the, the, you've got two male leads here you've got damon waynes jr who is a complete delight because he just really reminds me of his dad as well and i i was i i was charmed by this i was charmed by the energy i was charmed by the fast writing but no one's mentioned yet that tom ellis plays plays so junior is playing mac mm. her target is it's a character called nick who's meant to be this very very top um war journalist and he's played by tom ellis who's best known of course for netflix six season show lucifer which is i mean my husband was addicted to lucifer and he pretty much plays this in exactly the same way he has a slightly drawling camp english accent and he kind of wanders to in lucifer he says oh, well i am the devil you know and he doesn't have to be like well i'm a sports animal war journalist you know he's just a bit but i got into that I, I think you know where this is coming i enjoyed the mix of friends i really enjoyed i think augustus prue haven't seen anything it's brannigan one of max friends and then joel courtney he plays his brother and they had a really fun chemistry and i just think there were enough witty lines and enough charm particularly from Gina rodriguez and damon wines jr to make this worth it for me i didn't realize i was such an awful human being until i just listened to nick and luke because i can't that com i didn't ever see them as horrible human beings i just saw them as a really fun friendship group i think so the the director actually she did a uh, scene and cake uh, scene and bars eating cake which i know that you'd watched earlier in last Dude, year i quite liked that it's charming <laughs> um, and it has the kind of like uh the I think with the people that they cast, Gina Rodriguez and Damon Wayans Jr., they are so watchable. And, and so you, like, straight off the bat, like uh, Luke said, with the kind of charade opening, you can hear the dialogue in the back and you're already involved in this friendship group. You didn't have to, like, you know, get to know everyone. Everyone is so personable. And so it's almost as if you know their characters straight off the bat and you, you agree with this friendship group. I was completely on board with them straight away. And um, I, I appreciate the dynamic that they had. And Gina Rodriguez makes a great romantic lead. I saw her in a film, another Netflix fix rom-com which i have no qualms about called someone great a few years ago and i just think she's absolutely excellent in portraying the kind of confused role that a woman in her early 30s going through a romantic turmoil can go through i enjoyed as well they play off her they play off quite her, her tiny physique quite a lot in the first yeah. two love scenes that was mm -hmm. that, that was fun they, they were entertaining shot the first one where she's playing her neighbor who's this kind of huge viking fly fishing fan or whatever but it just it was a visually it, it's visually sparky i thought so I, I wondered at the beginning <clears throat> as i say i, I did it did it did charm me a bit but i wondered at the beginning if a man had done that if we'd swapped the gender roles there how that would have been received because basically you know she tricks people to sleeping with her constantly. but in the first scene if you think it's her friend and he's and, and, he, and he is a male and he sleeps with both men and women if you remember well, this is true women, so yeah. the, i think i think i don't i well, don't have a problem with that in the end i wrote i do agree with luke it does um, annoy me in these movies that no one seems to do any work uh, and and that that, that that is an irritation of me not across many of the rom-com uh, uh, movies in that genre but i i actually in the end i i felt that it spoke to the insecurities of the internet generation because it's all sort of quite shallow and quite, quite all quite surface and then they sort of as the film progresses they realize there is more to it 
than that and there's uh, maybe i'm reading far too much into it but but um yeah i i sort of got i in the end i, I found it to be more, much more fun than i thought it was going to be so I, I do agree that the characters were redeemable in, to some extent you, you see them being flawed people um i just think that the premise of the film is so overbearing i would have liked to have seen um more of their lives outside of tricking people and doing witty banter they they feel um as if there's a lot more to the story it feels it almost feels as though it could have been a sitcom or something where it had a bit more time to breathe uh, and tom ellis by the way i've just kept thinking miranda rather than anything else oh, I, so. I didn't i'm sorry i didn't watch miranda <laughs> oh well uh, lucifer was all over and it, it felt like quite a lucifer style what, what's with all the englishmen in these uh, in these uh, rom-coms people anyway love, people love an english accent to contrast the american i think you just need someone to they need the key british token character is becoming quite popular now and i know that you say they don't work but i did appreciate the kind of drop-in deadline speeches that they kept giving each other and i was like oh Oh, yeah they are busy on the evenings that we don't see <laughs> um, so it was appreciated I just I think this is a well-rounded comedy and I I think out of the kind of Netflix offerings we've had recently and I'm, I'm such a fan Agreed. of catching up this is a better one and it's better than the ones I've seen this week and so it is it is a stronger one yeah well slightly slightly divisive in the studio but the play, um, players is a certificate 15 and it is streaming on Netflix if you want you a second dose of rom-com uh, Back to the cinema for our next one. Redemption song. When you write that? All my life. Reggae is the people music. You know you're a superstar. I am a superstar. You can't separate the music and the message. You see, reggae music come for unify the people. Not everyone likes what you're saying. For your own safety, you need to stop. Forty-two years after his death, Bob Marley's music still forms at the soundtrack of summer beach parties and if my house is anything to go by, A-level student rooms. One Love tells the story of both the Smile Jamaica concert in 1976 during a tumultuous election year in Jamaica and then on to the making of Exodus in the mid-70s, back in, which was recorded back in the UK after Bob Marley had to flee Jamaica following an attempted murder. You can see that I haven't actually watched this as yet, but I, I, I did some reading around the subject. Nick is, Nick is on this for us, and it sounds like it is a sort of, it's a biopic over a certain, taken over about three or four years, is that right? Yes, that's right. This is not a cradle-to-the-grave story of Bob Marley. This does, as you rightly say, cover a very specific period from the attempt on his life in 76, uh, which is very well known to any, any Bob Marley fans, through to his exile in London where they make Exodus and then his return back to Jamaica where he unites the two parties in 1978. Um, and it does focus on that period specifically. This is an important movie in some respects. I had a look to see um, if there were any other Bob Marley biopics out there. I'm not aware that there are. Plenty of documentaries, if we know. Um, and 
uh, and there's a, a good reason for that, um, which I will come to in a minute. Um, I will start with the good things about the movie. Um, it's got a good tight script with some great performances. I think Kingsley Benadir plays Marley really, really well, um, and Lashana Lynch uh, does does a great job of, re- of portraying Rita. I think in in, play- in parts. The music is fantastic, and they use the original audio, which is absolutely the right call because you are immersed the best things in the music are when the band is recording and they're playing and you're in the room with them and it's fantastic the music just seeps through the film um and you get the, 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 the there's a bit of the caricature of london of in, in of the period and it's a bit with the punk scenes and all the rest of it but you get the capture of the feel of the place now i'll move on to the bad the, and when I say the bad, this is where this is, there's a better Bob Marley film out there. But the problem is the family still have huge control. I was going to ask that question, actually, because I did read that. There's, the, apparently the exec, the exec producing credits, it, everyone is a Bob Marley member of the family. So is it, is it, are there just too uh, many people involved to sort of make their grandfather or uncle or husband or whatever, you know, too Christ-like? Essentially, or? essentially, yes. You don't really make him Christ-like, but um, it's very well known if, to, to music fans, a bit like Jimi Hendrix. His estate is so tightly controlled he didn't leave a will his rastafarianism didn't um, uh, permit him to acknowledge that he was dying and so uh, rita ended up with 10 percent of, of the estate on his death but then over years and wrangling she forged documents which she admitted and there's court cases she wrestled back control her and her family of the rights and the image of bob marley um and you're absolutely right this is the problem uh, with the movie and i i, I read uh, um, kingsley benedict and i'll just say this very quickly uh, it, it, there's a scene outside in paris where um, rita and bob are arguing and um uh, uh, benedict says it took months and months in the making there was a deep discussion between lashana who plays rita and ziggy and the family and there are lines in that scene that are so deeply personal to the family it was a decision for them to make how much they wanted to share and ultimately i'm um, that's the problem with the movie it presents the marley they want to present it's um they they present the humanism of marley and the fact that he wasn't into into money and he was into the music and the spiritualism of rastafarianism and and what it meant to him it was more than just the music and that i find supremely ironic because um that's precisely the opposite of what happened to marley later after his death and there's a scene in the film when rita says there are flashbacks the movie flashes back to when they're young and they first meet and there's a scene she says i like a man with ambition who knows where he's going this is before bob marley's become famous and if you know the history of what happens to marley afterwards um i find that a very telling scene because actually rita in in the end was the was um the the sort of businesswoman behind it and she controls his legacy along with ziggy with an absolute iron grip um and i think therein lies the rub there is a better film out there when the family loosen control um and maybe they should have gone from a great for a gradle to the grave pick it's not bad i i really i did enjoy it but if marley people who love marley will go and watch this movie and if you're a marley fan you're going to sort of see the holes in it you're going to see the kind of if you're not if you're not necessarily a huge marley fan if you're just looking for something like a sort of something to soak you in also the sunshine in the caribbean and like you say maybe a slightly stereotypical take take of london in the 70s is there going to be something in this for you yes I did read, um, uh, just really, really quickly, and I'll finish. I did read something about how they've really focused on the Jamaican patois in here because mm-hmm. uh, they were after cool runnings, and, and they did a lot of work on the authenticity of of the speech and the cadences. I mean, all of that's got to be good, right? No, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to, but I, I didn't. It's absolutely spot Oh, well, 
<laughs> to someone who's uh, actually um, uh, Ben Kingsley Benadir did say that um, they really did spend a lot of time. It does, and it, for me, it sounded very authentic. And you really have to struggle with a thick Jamaican accent to listen. He did say though that the Jamaicans will probably pull holes in it and say <laughs> it's not quite right because you know most of them are, are, are British born um, with Jamaican heritage. Um, it's but it, you would enjoy it. Anyone can watch this movie, and I actually you probably enjoy it more if you don't know the history of Mali. The music shines through brilliant well brilliant thank you very much for that nick that is um bob marley one love that certificate 12a and is showing at the light and the view cambridge 105 radio mondays on cambridge 105 radio the kipper the cat show set your turntable to 78 and handle those discs with care as greg butler plays vintage recordings from the 1910s through to the 1960s and they were still making 78s well up into the late 60s to about 68 i think is the latest one i've got the kipper the cat show monday at 11 p.m on cambridge 105 radio and at cambridge 105.co.uk CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Sarah, one of CKLG's friendly tax advisors. Cambridge has one of the highest proportions of startups and early stage businesses in the UK. If you have an idea for a new business and are ready to get started, we can help you tackle the accounting, tax and financial challenges you will encounter. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge feeling the pinch sell your gold in a cinch gold prices are very high and have rocketed so now's the time to sell your jewelry for cash at the guardian jewelry roadshow have your gold and silver jewellery, coins and watches valued free at the Kwai Mill Hotel by jewellery quarter buyers who'll pay cash on the spot. The Guardian Jewellery Roadshow from the 15th to the 18th of February at the Kwai Mill Hotel, Church Road, Cambridge. For details, search guardianjewellery.co.uk. The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to the Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm Lorcan and with me today are Emma, Nick, Vicky, Luke and Stu. Now let's change things up with an astronomical musical. I know what they say about me. About hopeless romantics. That we're weak. And I'm not weak. I learned the hard way. Not all love stories have a happy ending. Time's up. Let's pick this back up next week. Jennifer Lopez co-writes and produced This Is Me Now, a transient fable about love and the stars. Emma, how did you find the trials and tribulations of modern J-Lo? That is one way to put it. Well, you know, to, to put a bit of context in this, we were terribly excited about this, weren't we? But it's turned out to be, it turns out to be, it's just a 65-minute, almost visual interpretation of her latest album, or at least dropping her latest album. A little bit like um, Beyonce did with Black is King and Lemonade. Um, and maybe J-Lo is feeling a little sort of put out by, you know, Taylor Swift's enormous kind of all-world conquering. So I read... J-Lo herself put 20 million into this, into this film to get this made. 
to get this put out of her. I'm not, not that she's short of a bob or two, obviously. <laughs> so Vanity Project springs to mind. I mean, it is, it's pretty bonkers. It's basically J-Lo. I mean, I appreciate the fact that it's J-Lo almost laughing at her own at, at the belief we have that she cannot be without a partner I mean J-Lo is yeah. like a serial monogamous really she's what I think now okay but this is sort of come this is born apparently out of the real proper love that she now has for Ben even though they weren't they weren't I don't know how poor Mark Anthony feels about it I haven't given her two children was married her for ten years he doesn't get a look in but you do get these hilarious scenes where she's getting married and there are three like interchangeable grooms at one point and then in between times she's talking to her therapist played by Fat Joe and then she also has this sort of collection of um the, the the star signs are up led by jane yes. fonda and um neil degrasse uh, who's Tyson, who of <laughs> mugging at the camera it's absolutely bonkers but and also in between and you also have her sort of um I, I think on a space station doing some dance routines on a space station starts off with this a crazy animated fable that you're i think you're meant to i think you'll find some metaphor for her broken damaged heart that's just just she <laughs> learns just to love herself at the end she just yeah exactly it's not her fault I, it is it, if you're a jailer i mean i always look at jlo and i'm incredulous at how incredibly good she looks for 54 maybe that's i mean and, and i do well that's where the 20 million maybe went <laughs> and i do enjoy her music and i enjoy her choreography but it, it all gets very very samey in this i felt yeah i think if like you say this is it's more of a it's more of a semi-feature length film to go along with the album but i don't think there's enough in the songs i don't think there's enough here for even a concert a, a concept album let alone a, a, any kind of attempt at a at a feature it is each scene is just so radically different from the last and it mixes between yeah just ridiculous kind of awkward comedy with Neil deGrasse Tyson waxing lyrical and um, all these kind of fantastical well, set pieces Ben Affleck in a weird cameo Who, as a Donald as Trump style news <laughs> Donald, Donald Trump uh, by way of Jim will fix it yeah. I, don't, I don't know what was going on there <laughs> Um, but I, th I think I'm, I'm mostly just annoyed at Amazon Prime for how they marketed this. They marketed this as some kind of like fantastical cloud atlas type epic, and it's it's 16 minutes. But I mean, the songs are fine. I can't, I couldn't tell you how any of them go. But the choreography I thought was absolutely fantastic. It's worth watching just for that. Yeah, the um, yeah, like I say, yeah, and 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 I am, and also it's worth watching for for Jennifer Lopez just sweeping through in 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 fabulous costumes and her generally incredibly well groomed look. And she seems, don't get me wrong, I I think she's 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 a warm presence jenna i mean she you know remember eyes wide shut whenever that you know she was going to be and, and to be honest the acting has gone to one side made in manhattan but you know um oh the wedding planner all of these she was a rom-com staple right in the noughties and, and and even the teens and i think when she makes films she can still make them well she's a great screen presence but this is just a very very self-indulgent project i would suggest like i say i feel that she's a bit like you, you know this is my I, I need to get my face back out there yeah Oh, if, yeah, if you want to insight into how J-Lo feels about J-Lo, I suppose <laughs> you, you, there's worse ways to spend 60 minutes. Um, it's a certificate 15 and it's streaming on Prime Video. Okay, it's time for Madam Web. <laughs> this is an emergency. Get off the train. That man's trying to kill you. What? Who are you? What is going on? I can see the future. Oh, what the hell? She didn't see that coming? That's <laughs> not how it works. I've seen that man before. So who is he? Ezekiel Sims. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. Wait, I recognize you. You live in my building. You're the paramedic. Yeah, you almost ran me over. You don't think this is weird? How we're all connected? It's honestly like the least weird thing that's happened all day. 
And here we are, apparently about to review what they have called the cats of superhero movies. Madam Web is the latest in a not particularly successful Sony Cinematic Universe. Is that Sony Spider-Man Cinematic Universe too? I'm not sure. I'll be coming to you first. Dakota Johnson stars as our titular heroine, Cassandra or Cassie Webb, who is just your average paramedic, I believe, going about her business in Queens until an unexpected fall into the river triggers her spider senses, spidey senses, which I think are shown in a sort of prequel bit at the beginning why she's ended up with them. This now gives her confusing visions of the future and now it's going to be up to her to save three teenage girls from a vicious attack. Um, Stu, this is written by the... Written by the writers of here. This is written by the guys behind Morbius and, like we say, it has landed to some pretty horrendous reviews. Is it as bad as people are saying? Did you find something in it to love? No, Emma. I did not find anything in this <laughs> car crash from a movie to love. I, I, I went into this going night or full world this was going to be underwhelming at best and it has proven itself to be far from underwhelming it is almost offensive to the senses to watch this i really did not enjoy it at all i was i was i don't think i remember the last time i've groaned rolled my eyes found myself audibly sighing watching a film and and to be perfectly honest i came very close on several occasions to walking out I, i i thought so little of it what is it that makes it so bad? Is it, I, I, you know, is it the acting? Is it the writing? Is it the CGI? Is it the effects? Is it, like, what exactly is it? Why is it such a mess? Well, it, it, it's, it's, it was, came very clear when the trailer for this film came out that there was no reason for this film to exist. It didn't really hit, hit sort of hook onto any really important bits of the Spider-Man universe, the intellectual property, which Sony have licensed from Marvel and, and have kept their claws dug into for so long. Dakota Johnson, um, her, her she, the material she's been given to work with is Morbius level poorness. I mean, it's it's not really her fault to to her credit, and she knows it. You've seen it on the press junkets that she thinks that this film is a joke, even if she's not come out and said it directly. She knows it. She knows it's not going to re- review well, but it's a paycheck. So you know, good for her that she's gone out and managed to con Sony out of some money. Um, it, it it really just doesn't lend itself to anything. It, it doesn't lend itself to the, the 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 character. It doesn't lend itself to the to the Spider-Man universe, the Marvel universe, it, or Sony's own universe. It's it's just another cash cow vehicle for Sony to make money, as far as I can tell. And it and it's not going to do well at that because it's going to make huge losses at the box office. Nick, we we Stu obviously we, I've done the show with him for ten years, so I know how passionately committed he is, and you know to be particularly the MCU, but also now the Spider-Man universe. How about you? Are you coming in from with a slightly different attitude? I am. Well, um, that is good. Uh, uh, you asked me um, if any people who uh, didn't know much about Bob Marley would enjoy uh, One Love, and I said yes, they would. You'd really much enjoy it. Really enjoy it. I think I'm the I'm the opposite here. I I sort of. Came, it's, just, it's just another um, magical realism movie with uh, some people running around New York doing um, fantastical things. Um, it's not a great movie with some really cheesy dialogue, but um, 
it's and it felt a bit like a mashup between Ms. Marvel and, and Spider-Man to me. But um, it's a daft story, um, and but there's some jeopardy in it. And I find with a lot of Marvel movies these days, there's absolutely no jeopardy because you can you know you can destroy whole planets with the blink of your eyelid. You know, and uh, so um, I, I came with the jeopardy. It's I think it's just it lifts the veil on the fact that Marvel movies aren't that good and they never have been that good. Sorry, Stu. <laughs> um, uh, oh, uh, Nick, uh, I could take you up on that. Uh, uh, no, well. I will. I will backtrack slightly. They've not. Um, I've not really seen anything I particularly enjoyed since Endgame. Um, uh, so since that point, I think Marvel have been sort of treading a bit of a. a, a, a they've been on the treadmill a bit. Um, but I've en I enjoy the movies. I enjoy the spectacle. I went in and, and had quite a good time, to be honest with you. It made no sense. I don't really care if it ties up with the rest of the Marvel Universe. I will say one thing though. It's the first movie I've seen at the IMAX that I felt should would be better off not seeing on the IMAX because the camera works all over the place felt okay. blurry in places and I couldn't keep up with it with the action at all do you think that's just a choice to make more money maybe uh, possibly I, I think it would have been better on a smaller screen which I never thought I'd say about a Marvel movie. well it is all TV credit you know the writer the writer SJ Clarkson directed by she's, she's, a, she's a TV director I mean pretty well established Succession or is this New Black Jessica Jones and you've got real TV talent in this well Sydney Sweeney obviously White Lotus and uh, Euphoria and I was interested I'm going to ask very quickly Tahar Rahim who I thought was excellent in that BBC show The Serpent where oh, it, it was yes. set in Thailand in the 70s he plays Ezekiel Sims who I think is your yes. kind of conflicted baddie was he any good? I, I, I to go back to Nick's point about how it was shot I think I think some of the cutting away and the blurring I think it's intentional because I think a lot of the audio tracks the the, the, the script was redubbed late in production and uh -huh. I think a lot of that cutting away from him is by choice because there is some really really poor dubbing over of 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 some of the spoken lines from mm. Tahar Rahim mm -hmm. and um it, it, it's, it, it's just jarring, in my opinion. Okay, well, I mean, we are, we, we're cramming a lot in this week, so we haven't got too much time to to, to, de to develop our feelings on Madam Web, but safe to say, I don't think it's coming. It's okay from Nick, and it's bang on awful from Stu. Is that <laughs> pretty it. much it, right? It, it's, it's very rare that, uh, you know, not since Morbius have I say been so... Uh, <laughs> Is it even Passionate. worse? Than, is it worse than Morbius? It is worse than Morbius. Oh, oh my there goodness. We go. Okay, there right. We have so, it from Stu. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> Madam Webb is a certificate 12A. Maybe go along just to, you know, kind of support to go to Johnson in her one-woman campaign to save this <laughs> on, the, on the promotional trail. It's a certificate 12A and it's playing at the light and the view. And uh, now we're moving on to an Aussie wedding in anyone but you. Let's just tell everyone we're together. What? Could be kind of fun. There's no way we can convince anyone we actually like each other. La, 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 la. Trust me. We're at a wedding a million miles away from home. Who knows what could happen? Convincing enough? The sizzlingly attractive duo of Glenn Powell from Top Gun Maverick and Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria find themselves hoist together in an Australian wedding with, after a lackluster first date. So they do what normal people do uh, and they pretend to be deeply in love. Luke, um, as our reluctant rom-com enthusiast of the group, uh, how does this rank in, in, in rom-coms or just on this show today? Far from reluctant, I'd say. Um, I think there are a few people, I think, 
um, more grateful for this film coming up than Sydney Sweeney, who co-starred in Madam Web. <laughs> she is amazing in this film. I never... The internet has been going crazy about Sydney Sweeney for a very long time, and I've not really got it. Um, but a film like Anyone But You, all you need to do is get two very attractive people in a very attractive location, and they spend 100 minutes together having amazing back-and-forth dialogue. Um, I'd say, you know, if, if you thought Players was good... <laughs> I mean, I, I really feel... I, this is this is it's a real shame that, obviously, Players, I think, um, was a streaming release, whereas this got a cinema... I mean, Rumcom's getting a cinema release in 2024. It's, it's not going to do well. And it's a real shame, because out of the two of them, this is the one that's more televisual, I would say. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the kind of destination wedding kind of films. I feel like mm. it's always a little bit like everyone's having a bit of fu more fun, perhaps, behind the scenes, although I was having a lot of fun as well watching it. Um, but you end up with sort of these kind of very brightly lit, quite flat um, scenes, and, and they try and work in some pretty hokey sort of Australian kind of stuff. So there's like a sequence where Glenn Powell thinks he's got a tarantula on his back, and obviously he takes off all his clothes, <laughs> um, which, which I'm sure some people would be really, uh, really... Um, favourable towards that scene, but you know, Sydney Sweeney is topless for a substantial chunk of the film as well. So there's there's something for everyone going on here. <laughs> um, and just real quick, as as you mentioned, kind of rom coms getting a cinema release. I was a huge fan of No Hard Feelings that came out last year, and that that used its 15 certificate well. Does this film use its 15 certificate well? Um, well, I'm I'm a bit of a a softy in these kinds of things. I don't want my rom coms to be a 15. I want them to be PG essentially. <laughs> um, and like the mo the best parts of the film are the bits where it is just nice. There's, there's a lovely meet cute at the start that's really that's really charming. There are the worst parts of the film for me. I think are the bits where it, you know it's a bit bantery, a bit you know um, laddish, um, which not for me, but I'm sure for a lot of other people they will they will really get a lot out of that. I mean, I think anyone will. This is this is a absolutely lovely three-star rom-com what wow. more could you ask for well a uh, glowing recommendation from uh, from luke um it's uh, as mentioned Certificate 15 and it's playing at the view okay we've got so much to cram in that we're going to skip the trailer for our next streamer which is freelance again it's hitting amazon prime and it's a john sainer alison brie vehicle which i hadn't even heard of until we talked about it for this film it's an action comedy with cena as a former green beret who's had to give up that career after a back injury and settle for suburban life but the chance to become the man he was comes again when he's hired to protect alison brie's spiky journalist in a trip to interview an american dictator where i think they get involved in a coup is this correct lorcan it is yeah it's very um it's very romancing the stone after after a certain while. It starts off horrifically bad. The effects are terrible. Uh, the acting's terrible. Uh, everything's lit just shockingly bad. But once once that kind of romancing the stone plot gets going, that was kind of parodied last year in the Sandra Bullock Channing Tatum one that I Lost City. Um, very very similar to that. Um, once that gets going, all of a sudden, the, the, the photography becomes a bit more dynamic. It gets better lit. Uh, they have squibs, which I'm a big fan of. We, I, I like a squib over a digital plug-in. Um, John Cena is just kind of being John Cena. Alison Brie is trying way, way, way too hard. Um, but what actually saves the film for me is Juan Pablo Raba, who is... I've never seen him in anything before, I don't think. His persona is fabulous his mm. timing is impeccable and he the screen just lights up when he's on screen he comes out of nowhere and he actually turns into the heart of the film as well um 
But yeah, no, actually, I'm not going to say it's a good film, but it's worth watching for that performance alone. Nick? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad um, Lorcan liked it. I quite liked it as well, actually. Uh, I checked the RT scores. Uh, 6% the critics have given it. Absolutely slammed, but the audience have gone 77% on it, uh, which I know doesn't mean anything, but I'm with the audience on this one. It was quite good fun. Um, I, I did read someone say, you'll get more, more sparks from rubbing a wet flannel on a wet rock. Well... I didn't. I got quite a lot of sparks, and it turns out, to my utter surprise, I've got a bit of a crush on, uh, on um, is it Alison Brie? Alison Brie? Yeah. Community, I, I, yeah. I never knew I would, but I'm, I'm slightly <laughs> in love. And uh, and you're absolutely right about um, about Juan Pablo Raba. I've not seen him in anything else either, I don't think, but he ends up being the heart of the movie. It's staffed, but it's great fun. Um, have a beer, get a takeaway let go of the world for an hour and a half and you'll have a good time well in particular I think if you're a John Cena fan because he is he's doing quite yeah he's, he's becoming I think a rather a rather delightful national American treasure for us so that was Freelance and that is streaming on Amazon Prime right now and it's Certificate 15 uh, and finally Love is in the Air with uh, Upgraded which I believe Vicky have you seen this one I have indeed uh, so team drama veteran Camila Mendes plays Anna who must work uh, take a work trip she's on a plane she gets upgraded she meets a man Vicky how is how is Upgraded Upgrade is absolutely delightful. I am a solid Camilla Mendes fan since uh, Do Revenge came out last year. I I think she's absolutely fantastic. You know, she kept Riverdale going for all those seasons and she just has an incredible stage, like screen presence. I think she's extremely likable. And then you put in, you know, handsome British hunk Archie Uno in there and uh, I was on board. I enjoyed the art references i was really into her career and you know i just had a fun time in london with them and especially with their you know little makeout spots across the city i was into it I and mean, you, you throw in some catty assistants you've got um and like you know anthony head is you know a, a dead artist with a retrospective i think this was a great um amazon prime saturday night fun time yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just say I agree because Anthony Head and Lena Olin, who you know back when I was a kid in the kind of nineties, was like the so you know, she was one of the European actresses, right? She was proper art school, and she pops up as the woman who handily has a sort of you know basement full of Renoirs or whatever yeah. that she's going to get rid of. But whew, let's see what happens there. But she and Anthony Head were having a right, and when they popped up in it, I I then also started on a fan. I'm going to say this is really embarrassing. When I read Camilla Mendes, I thought it was going to be Camilla Cabello because I thought she'd marry Shawn Mendes. <laughs> so I came to it with a different, but I like I like that whole that whole. It's a little bit the Devil Wears Prada with the mm. bitchy assistants, and she's just trying to find her way up there. A little bit Cinderella. I think Luke, you saw this one as well, didn't you? I did, of course, yes. and it did. But so many people. Well, Luke, Luke, how did how did you find this in, in our rom com cavalcade today? Yeah, but it's strange because it's not really a rom com. So when I was thinking about this film, I was thinking of that that famous Jean Luc Godard quote that all you need to make a film is a girl and a gun. And I think if it's seen this film, it realise that all you need is the girl. Because Camilla Mendes is wonderful in this film, like Vicky says. I didn't buy, really, the rest of what was going on. It's sort of... Um, Emma made that comparison to The Devil Wears Prada, but it doesn't... I mean, it doesn't have the heft of that film, and that wasn't exactly a hard-hitting film in itself. You sort of have Marissa Tomei in the Meryl Streep role, who's far too soft to be pulling off whatever she's trying to do and sort of accent wanders across Eastern Europe throughout the film. And the romance in the film is 
really lacking. I, mean, I, I agree. I think the romance is like the least important factor of this film, but it's absolutely fine because Camilla Mendes sells being a career-driven like woman, and I, I love that for whatever this is trying to get across. And Nick? Yeah, I'm uh, less of a fan of this one. I preferred a film called Love at First Sight, which came up with Ben Hardy, another EastEnders actor, uh, and Hayley Lou Richardson last year. This that one, was cute. That, that was cute. And it had a very similar plot to me. I, um, uh, I, um, I was, again... I, irritated by the the amount of money that seemed to be dripping around there everyone is completely traumatized in the film there's no love interest he's a complete wet blanket um didn't get that at all the older generation of far more fun uh and i, I did enjoy that but it did it i did at the end of it i couldn't get out of my head that she really got 120 million quid from her renoirs just to go and was it up down the south of france i suppose that's all right but i i found myself getting slightly offended but um anyway so I, I preferred I, ask, I preferred the other one that we talked about earlier i was gonna say can i ask really quickly to go around rom-com yeah. of this week luke mm. oh well anyone but you obviously uh players <laughs> i'm gonna say players i'm gonna say players and I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this is the directorial debut of uh, actress Carlson Young. Did anyone get much of a, a persona, personality so, out so of this? So I absolutely did. So I recognised Carlson Young from um, Screen MTV show she did back in the day where she was the actress. So I do, I think she brought her, all her friends on because I saw that Rachel Matthews, who plays a wonderful caddy assistant, and any character she is, she is an awful human being. You love to hate her. She hmm. does it so well. And I think she just brought all her friends on for her project. And she has got a very intense project coming up with uh, Sophie recently divorced Jonas um, so I am looking forward to her future uh, well Upgraded is streaming on Amazon Prime Video and it's certificate uh, 15 uh, so with that I think that's the end of our show now we yes. managed to race to the end so thank you from all of our reviewers Thank you. Thank you. And please do join us on Saturday the 2nd of March. We'll be catching the Timothee Zendaya duo again in Dune Part 2, uh, as well as Olivia Coleman in Wicked Little Letters, which looks uh, vulgar and delightful. See you then. Cambridge 105 Radio.